If you've been around at all over the last term or so, you'll know we've been working through the book of Philippians together. Uh, under the main kind of title of finding joy, we've looked at how to find joy in a whole array of different life circumstances and situations, whether it's loneliness, suffering, death, humility, temptation, conflict, exhaustion, anxiety, poverty, just to name a few of them. Today, uh, just to make sure we cover every base, we'll be looking at finding joy in everything. So if any of those other ones didn't tick the box, this one hopefully will. And the verse that we're going to be homing in on today is potentially one of the most transforming truths in the whole of the Bible. It's certainly one of the best-known verses, one of the most frequently quoted verses. It's found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says there, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There it is on the screens behind. Let's say it out together. Okay, we don't often do this. Just a short verse. I'm sure we can rise to the occasion, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Okay, for anyone who's here today facing hardships or difficulty or pain, or maybe you're going through a a particular time of uncertainty, this verse is great news. Paul's saying here, help is at hand. Help is available. You might not feel like you have the strength that you need to do whatever's required right now, to face another challenge, to overcome the particular difficulty or hardship that's right there in front of you, but through Christ's strength, you can keep persevering with real hope. Now, although this is undoubtedly very encouraging, the reality is that for most of us, it perhaps doesn't make a whole lot of difference in our day-to-day lives. And here's why. Let's have a show of hands for this one. How many of you think that God is a powerful God? Hand up if you think God's powerful. Keep your hand up if you also believe that not only is God powerful, but he's willing to release his power to us to help us. Okay, even more hands went up that time round. That's great. Okay, (laughs) hands down, hands down. The majority of us would believe that God not only has power, but he's also willing to share this power with us. But if I was to ask you a third question, how does this power transfer actually happen? How do you go about appropriating this power of God? This verse says there's real strength available to you, but how do you get that strength? How do you get it converted into the kind of stuff, the the raw material that you can use to face those difficulties you're facing? Well, that's where I believe the challenge lies. I'm not sure how many of us would be all that confident answering that question. I mean, I know lots of people who can quote this verse, but the reality is they are still living with very little power at work in their day-to-day lives. So what I want us to look at for the rest of our time today is what this verse actually means and how we can live in the good of it. Let's start then with what the verse really means. Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What's he saying here? Well, the first part of the verse, I can do everything, could be translated, I can endure all things, or I'm strong enough to keep going through anything. And then the phrase that follows it, gives me strength, that kind of means to infuse with strength or to put power into something. 
So what Paul's saying is, when I have come to the end of my own resources, even then, I'm strong enough to keep going because of Christ's strength infusing or empowering me. Now, of course, we could try and apply this in all kinds of different ways. Does it mean, for example, that if I had enough faith in this promise, I could climb into a boxing ring with, let's say, Ricky Hatton, and I could knock him out? Or that if I wake up one morning and decide to jog the eight miles into the church office, all I need to do is head off quoting this verse over and over and over again, and I'll arrive at the office half an hour later, fresh and ready for a day's work. Or does it mean that I don't need to attend any lectures or do any revision, and I can still pass all of my exams with flying colours if I simply keep on believing I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Or is this verse really saying, my behaviour actually doesn't matter? I mean, it says, I can do everything. I'm completely free then to do anything and everything I want without any reprisals, without any comeback. Is that what this verse is saying? I don't think Paul meant anything even remotely related to any of those things. To understand the context, really, you need to go back to the previous verses. Paul says in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's talking about being able to handle the circumstances that he finds himself in, whether that's eating the finest gourmet food or not having enough to eat, whether that's having an abundance of material stuff or suffering very real material needs. That's the context. That's what he's talking about here. If you like, he's saying, look, I've got the strength to endure whatever life throws at me. I can go without food for a while. I can go without wearing the latest clothes. I can go without comfort. I can go without warmth. I can go without freedom. I can endure pain and danger and persecution and suffering. I can endure real threat. But the strength to do all of this doesn't come from me. I can endure all of these circumstances going on around me because I am so strengthened by Christ on the inside. And Paul would say, when you get to the point where you are right at the end of your resources, and if you choose at that moment to depend on Jesus, and you begin to see his power really tangibly at work in you, that's when you find true joy and true contentment. Just look with me for a moment at Ephesians chapter 3. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole of the New Testament. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. It's one of the great prayers of the Apostle Paul. He starts off, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then he launches into this phenomenal prayer. What are you praying for? Well, I'm praying that out of his glorious riches, notice this, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's like what Paul had experienced in his own life, what Paul had experienced for himself, 
he's now praying that the Ephesians would experience as well. That inner strength that causes us to be sufficient, adequate, content, and able to know joy in any and every situation. And the result of all of this, verse 20, Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying, I'm praying here that you will be so strengthened with the Holy Spirit's power that you, even you, will be able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what you could ever imagine to be possible. In other words, if we are full of the Holy Spirit's power, we have this power source within us that can sustain us through things we could never imagine getting through if it was all down to us. It's a bit like having a pacemaker. I don't know whether you know anyone who's had a pacemaker fitted, a family member, a friend perhaps, but a pacemakers apparently only kick in when the heart can't cope. It's like this sustaining power. As long as the, the heart functions properly, they don't need the pacemaker. When the heart starts struggling, at that point, the pacemaker takes over and kicks in. Now, there's a sense in which we have this resource available to us. We have this source of spiritual power that moves into action, that kicks in whenever we come to the end of our own resources. You know, whenever I hear of someone tragic circumstances, maybe losing a child or their spouse or perhaps being diagnosed with some kind of life-threatening condition. At those moments, perhaps I find myself thinking, I don't know if I could get through that if it happened to me. I don't know if personally I could survive that kind of thing. But I believe that at that moment, when we feel physically unable to keep on going, if we draw on God's power, we are then able to do way beyond what we think we could possibly do. When it feels like you're right there on the brink, teetering on the edge, you you can't resolve your problems, you you can't eliminate the conflict, you you, you can't solve the marriage, you can't do anything about the kids, can't change the environment at work. You have no way that you can deal with that disease that's just racking your body. And you come to the point where you're at the end of yourself. If you turn to God, you will find that the strength is there to go through that situation. And in that lies your experience of joy and contentment. Perhaps the clearest illustration of this is located in another one of Paul's letters, right towards the end of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's speaking about his own experience of weakness. He says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, just to explain 
Paul had received a number of revelations directly from God. It's like he'd had these visions of Christ, and God had used him in phenomenal ways to communicate the truth of the gospel to others. And because of all of this, Paul could very easily have become proud. And so, in order to keep him from getting conceited, in order to keep him from exalting himself, in verse 7 he says, because of all of this, there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, I don't know specifically what Paul's referring to here. There's all kinds of speculation. I mean, this thing or that thing, we don't know. But clearly, the burden of it was massive. And so Paul prays three times that this thing might depart. Verse 9, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now this is huge. I don't want you to miss this. God's saying, and I believe he'd say it directly to some of you in the situations that you are facing right now. God would say, regardless of how tough it gets, you can still be content because there is sufficient grace and there is sufficient power to take care of you in spite of this problem. But just remember, you can't deal with this in your own strength. God would say, you've got to depend on me. Just listen to Paul's response here. Verse 9, Therefore, as a result of all of this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? so that Christ's power may rest on me. He's saying, if I didn't have this weakness in the first place, I wouldn't be dependent on Christ right now. If I could solve all of this in my own strength, I wouldn't need him. So it's there for me to be dependent. And in my dependency on him, I begin to see his power displayed in a whole new way. Verse 10, that is why... For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. I mean, that's pretty extreme. But here's the explanation. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, contentment comes when you begin to experience the sustaining power of Christ in those times when you have no human strength left. Paul's talking here about coming to the bottom of our own human resources and finding there the strength of Christ. It's a bit like what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 29 he says the famous words, He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Paul says, I have the ability to overcome anything that life throws at me because I am so infused with spiritual strength that 
I can do what I couldn't imagine I could do. And the promise is that that exact same power that so tangibly strengthened Paul is available to us today. Which begs your important question, well, how do we get it then? How do we get this power? How how do we live in the good of this? Because you might be thinking, well, it feels very much like I've been at the end of myself for some time now. I have come to the limit of all my resources. And I didn't find anything there to comfort me. I wasn't content. In fact, I'm still not content. And I'm certainly not experiencing a whole lot of joy right now. I think that's a pretty common experience. So, how do we actually get hold of this power, this strength that's available to us? What I want to do is take you on a short excursion through the pages of Scripture to try and drill home a very important principle about how God's power works in a person's life. I'm going to start in the page of the Old Testament, look at a few stories there, and then progress into the New Testament, just to say there is a payoff for this. So please just hang on in there with me for the next few moments and I think you'll see something begin to develop that's going to be a tremendous help for some of you. We're going to start all the way back in Egypt during the time of the Exodus. Shortly after the 10th plague, which you may be aware was the visit of the angel of death on the Egyptians... Shortly after that plague hit, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, finally tells Moses that the Israelites who have been kept there in slavery in Egypt for many generations, finally they're free to go. He's finally had enough of them. So Moses gathers all the people, organizes them. They, they gather their possessions and other stuff they can get their hands on, and they head off in the general direction of Canaan, the promised land. But shortly after they've packed their bags and gone, Pharaoh comes to his senses. He realizes it slowly begins to dawn on him that he's waving goodbye to all of his cheap labor. And so he gets a grip and he quickly summons the Egyptian National Guard and he says to them, I've made this monumental mistake. I want you to try and put it right for me. I'm I'm commissioning you to charge out after the Israelites, capture them and drag them back before they escape. Now, the Israelites are traveling at a snail's pace. I mean, you know what it's like trying to organize some big kind of group walk with people of different kind of walking abilities. You you get slowed right down. They're walking at a snail's pace, and it's just a matter of time before the Egyptian National Guard catches up with them. And when the people of Israel turn around and realize what's happening, they begin to fall apart at the seams. I mean, the picture really couldn't have been a whole lot bleaker. They're approaching the banks of the uncrossable Red Sea. That's what's looming large right in front of them. And the Egyptians are fast approaching from behind. Whichever way they look, whichever way they turn, it is a massacre waiting to happen. So they cry out in a panic to Moses. Moses, go to God, tell him we need some help. So Moses goes to God, pretty desperate. He he shares with God their concerns. And God responds in Exodus 14 by saying, don't worry, everything's going to turn out okay. And so Moses 
Not sure if he's convinced or not, but goes back to the people and speaking for God says to them, it's all right, no need to worry. I mean, we've got a sea in front of us and this army behind us, but God's strength is going to be applied to this current dilemma. He's given us orders to just keep going, keep marching forward towards the uncrossable Red Sea. And he's promised to intervene somewhere between here and the water's edge. Now stop right there. I mean, what kind of an answer is that? Keep marching towards the uncrossable Red Sea and God is going to intervene somewhere between here and there. Now, be honest. If you were one of those Israelites, would you have bought an answer like that? There's an army behind you, an ocean in front of you, and God says, just keep walking, keep trusting. And as you do, I will honour your faith with a display of my power. You know what God's promising here? He's promising power along the way. Power so long as you stay moving in the direction that he has called you to go. Power between here and there. Now, to be brutally honest, I don't like that arrangement. I prefer power now. I like power before the crisis comes. I like power before the showdown hits. I like power way before the water's edge. But that's not always the way it works. I guess most of you know the outcome of the story. As the Israelites reach the Red Sea, sure enough, God parts the waters miraculously. They pass through on dry ground. When the Egyptian army, hot on their heels, are partway across, God relaxes his grasp on the Red Sea and all the Egyptian army are wiped out. God delivered exactly what he promised to deliver. Power! But power between here and there. Power along the way. I'll tell you another story. It's actually pretty similar to the last one. It's recorded in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua, who took on the mantle of leading the people of Israel after Moses, Joshua is finally given clearance by God to lead the Israelites into the promised land. If you remember, the entire nation has spent a whole generation wandering around in the desert until finally God instructs Joshua to march towards the Canaan border. Just one problem. The border of Canaan is marked by the Jordan River, which just so happens to be at flood stage. There's no bridge, no boat, no ferry. And so God says to Joshua, tell everyone to get in a line. And when everyone's in a line, you put the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the Levites right at the front and tell them to lead the way towards the swirling dark waters of the Jordan River. Walk right into the water. And God says, somewhere between here and there, I'm going to show up with power. Now once again, can you imagine that? that this had to seem like utter madness. You've got a million people, or that kind of number, all there in a line, and they're walking slowly towards this uncrossable river. But God says, this isn't a problem. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to show up somewhere between here and the water's edge. You know what happens? 
the scripture says that when the Levites who were carrying the ark were ankle deep in water, that, that's when the waters parted. That's when they finally managed to cross over on dry ground. Now, if I was one of those Levites, and I was ankle deep before the waters parted, ankle deep and going deeper before anything seemed to be happening, I think I'd have been tempted to have said, it's about time. How much longer were you going to wait? I'm telling you, I really don't like this 11th hour stuff. It's like, I want power several miles before the water's edge. I want to know the whole plan in advance. I want God to do the whole thing so there is no trauma in my life. I want God to do it in a way that doesn't necessitate me having to demonstrate any faith whatsoever. That's the way I want it. That's how I prefer it. That's not the way it works out a lot of the time. Let's move into the New Testament. Let's look at the story where Jesus performs his very first miracle. Anyone remember what the miracle was? Water into wine. It's recorded in John chapter 2. Jesus is invited as a guest to this wedding feast, and the host runs out of wine. Now, in that day, that was a terrible social embarrassment. So Jesus instructs some nearby servants to fill six large containers with water. And when these large containers are completely filled, Jesus tells the servants to draw some of the water out of the containers and then take it to the head wine taster. Picture the servants, kind of looking at one another, kind of scratching their head. I mean, why would we do that? He's a wine taster, not a water taster. But Jesus, he's pretty insistent. Just do it. Just, just do what I say. So here are these guys feeling very sheepish, ever so slightly foolish, walking with these cups of water in the direction of the wine taster. They're just putting one foot in front of the next, kind of shaking their head, saying, this has got to be the strangest, most bizarre thing I've ever done. But he seemed pretty insistent, so I'm just going to do what Jesus has told us to do. I'm going to put one foot in front of the next, and maybe somewhere, somehow, between here and there, something will happen. And again, you're probably familiar with the story. Somewhere between the containers and the wine taster, something does change. They get there, and the wine taster, taster sips the water stroke wine and says that this is the best wine, the finest wine I've ever ever tasted. Where where did you get this stuff? Once again, it is power along the way. Let's indulge me for one more story. This comes out of Luke 17. Again, I love this story. Ten lepers who have been outcasts, thrown out of society because of their dreaded disease. They're hanging around way outside of the town because they have to. They can't mix with other people. And Jesus is walking by. And the, the, the ten kind of register who it is. They've heard the reports of some of the miracles that Jesus has performed, and they look at one another and say, look, it's the miracle worker. I mean, should we ask him to come over here and maybe he'll heal us? Should we call out, Jesus, we need some help. Come over here. And they debate the issue. And finally they say, well, what have we got to lose? So they cry out, Jesus, Come over here. We need some help. Come, could you heal us? Show us your power, they're saying. To which Jesus responds, I'll gladly show you my power. 
All you need to do is go all the way into the city and show yourselves to the priest. Now, just to explain, back then the priests served as kind of, kind of holy people in the church, but also kind of medical experts. They served as kind of the, the health department. They, they looked at people and decided who was healthy and who had leprosy. And they had the power to say who had to be moved out of the city because of leprosy. So Jesus is saying, no problem, I will heal you. Just go and show yourselves to the priests. Show yourselves to the health department. Let's picture the lepers kind of looking at one another. I mean, why should we go all the way into the city to have the health department tell us what we already know? We've got leprosy. This is the stupidest thing we could do. Maybe just one of them says something to the effect, well, hey guys, suppose something miraculous happens between here and the city. Suppose Jesus is just waiting to see if we've got the faith to believe that he will display his healing power along the way. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to head over to the priest. I'm going to find out if anything's going to happen between here and there. You know what it says in Luke 17, 14? It says, And as they went, as they walked and put one foot in front of the other, demonstrating faith that maybe the power of God would arrive en route. As they went, they were cleansed. See the connection? Again, it was a case of power along the way. There are lots of other passages that reinforce this pattern. I think it's fair to say the Bible seems pretty clear about this thing. God is more than willing to intervene supernaturally into the difficulties and the hardships and the problems of our everyday lives, providing that we are willing to demonstrate faith by walking forward on the path of obedience, by doing what it is we know he wants us to do. Let's make this really practical. Before we close, I want to try and show you how this works out in everyday life. I don't know, let's say there's a relationship with a family member that's just completely on the rocks. You're so estranged right now that apart from a miracle, you'll never speak to one another again. But maybe recently, the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to attempt some sort of reconciliation, but you just keep saying, no way. I mean, God, I know what you want me to do. I know what I think you're saying, but I just couldn't do that. I don't have it in me. It would require more power than I possess. Now, in pastoral work, I hear this phrase or versions of that phrase all the time. I hear people saying all the time, I know what God is asking me to do, but it would require more power than I've got. Maybe you drink too much. You, you know you really should do something about this growing addiction in your life, but it doesn't feel like you've got the power needed to change. Most weeks, I talk to people who are just getting sucked into temptations that are destroying their lives, and again and again and again, they say to me, if I had the power to overcome that temptation, I would do something about it, but I can't, because it requires more power than I possess. 
Maybe your finances are in a bit of a mess. Perhaps you heard the talk a few weeks back where I encouraged you to ask someone for help to get your finances back on track. You know you should do something about it, but even now you're thinking, well, I still can't do that. I mean, it would be so embarrassing. It would require more power than I've got. Of course, our difficulties and our challenges require more power than we possess. Of course they do. I mean, that's why we're stuck. That's why we're in the mess we're in. That's why we're in the jam that we're in. But this verse in Philippians 4.13 teaches us that even beyond all of that, there is a power beyond that which you possess. And it's available to you today. But you've got to appropriate it. Some of you, you know, you need to leave this room in a few moments' time and you need to trust God for power from here to the telephone. And you've got to punch in the number and you've got to call somebody and see if you can meet up urgently to repair that relationship. And right now, even as I'm saying that, you're going, I could never do that. Read it. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He'll give you strength from here to the phone. And when you get the right person on the phone, move your lips. He will give you strength to say what you need to say. He'll he'll give you power along the way if you make a move. God will give you the strength to do what His Spirit is prompting you to do. But you've got to move in the direction if you're going to get power along the way. That's how it works. What most of us do. What do most of us do? Well, we camp out on the water's edge. We live right on the edge, kind of looking at the problem, looking at the difficult circumstances, and we live with constant fear. We live with a constant sense of failure. Maybe we've got used to living with self-pity. It's as though we stay on the couch and we say, this requires more strength than I've got. Listen, we've got to move. We've got to take the first step. We've got to take a risk. We've got to be a little more courageous and seek God to strengthen us as we go. Those of you who are drinking more than you ought to drink, or maybe those who are involved with addictions that you feel ensnared by, you you can't get out of, there's stuff that you need to throw away. There are people that you need to come clean with and confess to and be accountable to. But you can't see the point because you've got no faith that things could ever change. Read the verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Draw strength from God. Do something about it before it gets any worse. Some of you, you're in destructive or immoral relationships or relationships that In your heart of heart, when you're really being honest with yourself, you know they're not right. They're not leading anywhere good. It's been going on for a long time. God's been convicting you about this for a while now. But you feel you just don't have the strength to bring it to an end. Read this verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. All you need is power to go from here to your car or to the bus or to the train station. 
And when you're in your car or on the bus or in the train, you need to get to that person's house. God will give you the power to do that. And when you get to the house, all you need to do is knock on the door and tell them, it's over. It's finished. Then you need to go to a family or a friend's place and you need the power to ask them to help you to live in the good of your decision. To ask them to help you live a holy life, a life that God can fully bless. And you know what you'll end up saying? If you act in any one of these different situations, you know what you'll end up saying? God gave me the power I needed to do what I know I should have done a long time ago. Why did I wait so long? I did it. And I did it in his strength, not mine. Some of you here today, maybe you're just looking in. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian right now. You need to kind of grab the person who brought you today or invited you along. You know God's been calling you to join his family, to become a Christian, but you're just too scared. You think, I can't become a Christian. I mean, what would people think? What would my family say? What would my friends say? And anyway, I could never live it out. I mean, I look around at all the other people here and they all seem so together and I feel condemned almost being with them. Like, I could never be like that. You can do everything. You can do all things. Especially become a Christian. You can do that with the strength of Jesus. He will help you. Or maybe God's been calling you to step out in a particular spiritual gift or to take on more responsibility at work or to become more proactive in sharing your faith with others. Maybe it's that word that Mark said earlier about leaving the harbour and going into the, the deep waters and you hear it all and whatever the application is for you, I want to urge you to bank everything on God empowering you along the way. I want to encourage you not to allow fear or doubt or faithlessness to hold you back from moving in the direction that God is calling you to go. You just need to get up, start moving, start walking in the direction that God has called you to go. You've got to stop waiting passively for something to change before you go. You've got to demonstrate faith and put one foot in front of the other. And as you do, I believe God will intervene between here and there, between here and the water's edge. Because that's what he's promised. And he will do it.